Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight by a great baseball writer getting us ready for Game 6 tomorrow. J.P. Hornstra of the Southern California News Group does great work. You see him on Spectrum. You see him uh, in, in the paper. Uh, as much as you can see a, a person in the paper uh, and online and on the many, many places to find all of his work. JP, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted the full uh, Rams introduction, though, with, with the elongated <laughs> arrow. <laughs> well, you, beginning. I mean, obviously, you know, this everybody understands the St. Louis Blues thing. Andy and I grew up in St. Louis. I'm a big Blues fan. Got very excited. I also do have this. Is it too... Like homery for me to wear? No. This okay, cool. Because it's cold I, in my house. I, I've worn a Laker shirt on this show multiple times. Right, but you. I mean, I will say, like, I am. I love. I like the Dodgers. I'm rooting for them. I, I. I love the the uniforms, and and it's be great for the city. But I'm not like a diehard Dodger fan. I don't. I hate being. A, where do you come down on gear, JP? Because I I am really sensitive to the idea of wearing team gear for teams that I am not like 100% diehard for. Sure. I I don't wear team gear, period, when I'm in the press box. I don't well, no, really that would be wear, wrong. <laughs> no, I don't really wear – I'm trying to think the last time I even wore – like around the house, I'll have like, you know, gym shirts, right, like for teens. Um, but I will say this. Maybe, maybe the biggest effect – one of the biggest effects of the pandemic on my household is that those like rally towels that they give out at Dodger games during the playoffs make the best dust rags. And we aren't getting any this October. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, we've, we've got a few of those around this house as well. I mean, they, and you are correct. They're actually phenomenal. They're, they're very thick. They're very absorbent. Yeah. Um, they're a very good size. They're not too big, but they're not too small. Um, they, they are actually a pretty solid towel. Um, I, I absolutely agree with that. The only person I think that actually, ever wore team gear in the press box was Vic the Brick. Um, mm. you know, Vic, I think he was sort of grandfathered in with that rule. Like, you're not really, you are really not. Well, no, he wasn't grandfathered in with any rule. Vic just didn't care. <laughs> Vic, Vic is Vic, and the rest of us are subject to the rules. Like There was a, there was a guy, I, I came up in the, the Bay Area, and there was a, a dude for the Oakland Tribune. His name was Jack Rux. And he would wear an A's hat to every single assignment, whether it was NASCAR <laughs> or football or just A's hat, always. He I was grandfathered into. Like I, I will wear occasional. Like I've worn my Blues hat, baseball hat to like Lakers practice before. Like I've done that. Like I, I've worn out of market sports teams. Hats. I've seen people wear the college that they went to, stuff like that. But I've never worn, and I will would never wear this, like to a, a, a like a like a late October Dodger game where it was chilly. Like I'm not doing that. That's that's poor form. You would wear the Blues the, hat. I, I would. <laughs> I actually would probably, but I wouldn't wear the Dodger hat. Because I think there is a degree where we can say like, if the athletes can do it, why is it so bad if we do it too? Right. If LeBron wears the Yankee hat, for example, around town, like right. Okay. But I thought for a second there, I thought you were going to say like you know the the athletes wear it, so I can't do meaning. I should wear like the uniform, like, like Dave, <laughs> no. Dave Roberts does. You know what's funny though? Like I hadn't even thought about this before for a while, but I have a Lakers ski cap that I've actually felt extremely self conscious wearing into Staples Center when I when I've been covering a game. Yeah, even though it's like you know like it'd be like a January February game where it's like 
functionally, I need this hat because it's 40 degrees out. And for me, that's cold, you know, with a lack of coverage. But like, I, I feel like somehow I'm being unprofessional by wearing that hat just you are. into the building. No, I'm not. I'd be unprofessional <laughs> if I was wearing it during the game. Well, you could just get a second that's- hat. Well, I eventually did. I had multiple ads <laughs> by now, but that was that was actually the point where I realized I needed more ski caps because that yeah. one made me feel perhaps unnecessarily like I wasn't being professional. I get it. I totally get it. So what would be the if you had to wear one hat into a game that was a specific team, what hat would it be? Oh god, now I'm really on the spot. Um you know what? I, I would probably this is gonna sound a little bit blasphemous given given what we're you know, going to talk about here, but, um, you know, I grew up in the San Jose area and, uh, the San Jose giants were probably the team that I saw the most, um, the professional team that I saw the most growing up. Uh, when I was in high school, my baseball team, we got to play on their field for like a oh, that's fun. CIF semifinal yeah. game. So that like sentimentally would probably be the choice. Okay. That's fair. And that keeps you out of trouble because it's just the minor league team. Right, exactly. Uh, Dan Wakey from the LA Times actually had a great tweet last night regarding, uh, before we get too deep into the series, um, re- regarding the hats that the Rays were wearing yesterday. <laughs> I saw them. As the single ugliest hat that has ever been worn in a World Series. Can anybody argue with that? Oh, Those man. things were I, atrocious. I, I couldn't even tell you what number two is, like seriously. I mean, first of all, gigantic like can you possibly make your logo bigger ugly doesn't match the rest of the the rays actually don't deserve to win this series because they have horrible (laughs) uniforms maybe like the d-backs in 2001 had some pretty ostentatious purples and teals going on there but at least least, it was of the era that's right it was truly authentic (laughs) could i could i make the argument that that hat that they were wearing yesterday that rays hat is a form of animal cruelty like, I mean, it really, it feels like it was incredibly disrespectful and even endangering to Rays. Like, like, I think Rays will be less protected as a species and less cared about as a result of that hat. Like, they really did the Rays as a species a disservice. Beyond just the mere ugliness of it, I, I also am really intellectually bothered by the idea that there's a ray of sunshine in the word rays on the jersey and uh-huh. there's a like a stingray on the hat what kind of ray are they i don't know pick a lane tampa um but it, it is indicative of like they, the the uniforms that they are wearing look like the uniforms that the other team wears in the game in the movie where you don't get the licensing for major league baseball <laughs> Like, you know, they have like, they have the most generic font you can possibly find just rays. It's like, it's awful. Everything about those uniforms is awful and they don't like, you cannot be that poorly dressed and expect to win a world series. Not against the Dodgers. No, it, the contrast is, is marked. It's not. Yeah. Just one of the most classic all-time baseball uniforms. Do you think, I mean, JP, because you, you know, baseball, like the, the, the world of baseball better than we do. You know, we cover the Dodgers for a few years, you know, on a day-to-day basis, but you've been doing this for a long time. Is that logo the result of the Marl of the Rays being a small market team, small budget, and just not being able to do better? Like, can they not afford a better hat? Like, like if the Red Sox with their budget were the Rays, would they have a better logo? Do you think? Like, is that the best they can afford? You know, I I don't know. 
I, I should be more a little bit more read up on the <laughs> history of the the origin of the Tampa Bay Rays, Devil Rays originally. But I, here, here's what I will say is that, you know, in, in 1993, right, we got the Marlins and the Rockies. And if you looked at their uniforms, which the Rockies still basically wear, they were classic pinstriped, uh, you know, serif fonted across the chest, baseball looking uniforms, right? And then in 98, we got the Diamondbacks and the Rays. And just besides the total mouthful that the Diamondbacks and Devil Rays presented, the uniforms were themselves just a hard left turn from baseball tradition. And that had to have been by design. Uh, the D-backs, almost a little bit too much evolved uh, from that point. And, and the Devil Rays made that one change, uh, going from the Devil Rays to the Rays, switching to the uniform with the ray of sunshine on them. And it was almost too little thought put into it, maybe. Um, so very much of the time. Um, but I, I think I think the Devil Rays and the Diamondbacks, they just said, look, we're the last in the door. Let's be different. What the hell? It didn't work. Um, they, they need to fix that. So, I mean, it's a shame because they, they got lots of good players and, and smart management and they need better uniforms. Um, all right. Here's where I want to start because Dodgers obviously in just a fan. It was a fantastic game on Sunday, um, but they're up three, two. Can you can walk us through the logic of, of how they're handling game six with Tony Gonsolin? Because there were a lot of people who I think wanted Walker Bueller to come back on short rest. Um, and it obviously isn't happening. And it was, there was like no decision there. Can you take us through that whole thing? Sure. The, their thought process on Gonsolin specifically has kind of evolved in the postseason, I think originally there was this idea that that Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May would kind of piggyback is maybe not the best word, but they would tag team the the fourth starter's job, right? You, you had Kershaw, Bueller, Arias, and then whoever we got on that day, however, whoever has the hot hand, let's ride them as long as we can. And sometimes that worked, like, you know, uh, I think it was eight days ago now when um, you know, the, 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 uh, NLCS game, um, where Urias came in and, and, and pitched the final three innings and you saw Gonsolin May and like three other dudes pitch the first six. Um, you saw it work there. Like it worked well enough to win the game, obviously. Um, but several times it just hasn't worked. And Gonsolin, I think of, uh, between the two of them has really yet to be, be the guy he was in the regular season. And, I think now what we're seeing is uh, the Dodgers taking a step back and saying, you know, we had you pitching every sixth day from July through September. And then, you know, some sometimes circumstances out of your control um, didn't allow Tony Gonsolin to pitch in the first two rounds. And so he went 17 days between games. He didn't look sharp. He still hasn't looked sharp. And now they're saying, all right, Tony, you pitched in game two. Uh, don't pitch. Don't pitch until you're fully rested. Do your normal workouts. Do your, throw your normal bullpen. Come back out here in Game Six and go as long as you can. Dave Roberts said today, "I would love this guy to just be a five or six inning starter." Um, and then over knows, how many games? <laughs> oh, that's not nice. <laughs> that's mean. <laughs> that's that's mean. When's the last time no, Johnson's gone five to six innings? In a that's game. mean. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a while. I mean, to your point, like <laughs> little league, <laughs> like it's been a minute. No, he was look, professional. Hey, 
it, it, All right, I'm going to look this up. This this year, to your point, Andy, like this year, my sense of time is totally warped. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have just no sense for when anything is happening on a calendar. But it, it, the calendar tells me, like, the regular season ended less than a month ago, and Gonsolin was he, a pretty good pitcher he, then. Okay, he did. I stand corrected. Uh, he had he had a very active month in September where five games he pitched no fewer than five innings. Yeah, per, and solid three point four one ERA. So I Screw I guess you Andy says Tony well, Gonsolin, or so well, I say on Tony Gonsolin's behalf. Well, but I mean in the playoffs it's gotten de- you know decreasingly fewer innings. Um, it's gone from 4.1 to 2.0 to one and a third. Um, can't go much lower than that. So that's my point. Anyway, no, it was, it was, they were rolling the dice by going with this plan. I mean, but if Gonsolin can be that pitcher after having, you know, adequate rest, something of a normal routine, not having to get warmed up in the bullpen for a possible relief experience, none of that, like, this should be the Tony. They they're thinking that this can this is giving Tony Gonsolin the best chance so far to be the Tony Gonsolin he was in the regular season. So why why did they not consider Bueller? Um, ask Dave Roberts about that today. Game seven is a safety net. Really, um, they want to win tomorrow. Don't mistake this for for them punting. Um, but um, who would you want in game? seven uh, you know a bullpen game or a rested walker bueller just because walker bueller pitches doesn't mean he's going to win and if you lose game six now you're in a really bad way um but if they lose game six behind gonsolin and probably dustin may and a few relief pitchers um you've got bueller and seven rested that's just the more desirable scenario that's it do you do you expect it to be like a similar a similar approach to what we saw in game two I mean, like in terms of that potential mix and match, but also, I mean, the, the same assortment of options maybe utilized in similar fashion, that sort of that sort of thing. I think if it is that, it's because Tony Gonsolin has not done what the Dodgers wanted him to do. Um, that would be kind of a worst case scenario. Okay. I think it'll be interesting to see what they do if he gets into trouble early. Do they let him try to work out of it? Be you know, be a starting pitcher, right? Use his full arsenal, uh, reach into his bag of tricks, try to mix things up, and give you know the race hitters a different look. Um, or or do they go straight to Dustin May and maybe Urias? I don't know. Um, but I, I I think if you see what you saw in Game Two, it's because Gonsolin didn't have it tomorrow. That, that's interesting, though, because Dave Roberts has even acknowledged that guys like Gonsolin and May, and, and you know, Gonsolin—I mean, May actually had a, a good showing in Game Five, but both of them have struggled in these last couple rounds. And Roberts has conceded that what they're being asked to do is different than their normal roles, and for young, less experienced pitchers, that can be a problem. And, and I wonder how much Gonsolin would benefit psychologically from feeling like he actually has a longer leash. And like, you know, the idea that I can I can pitch myself into a certain amount of rhythm without worrying that my hook is going to be really quick. Right, right. Like, honestly, I, I think that's a really good point. I think the number one thing the Dodgers can do to give him that feeling is to score a whole bunch of runs early. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> do what they did for Kershaw. Right. Their, their lineup is going to give him a longer leash than Dave Roberts ever can. Um, so 
you know, that that's going to mean more to him than it does to Blake Snell for the Rays, I think. So, so who's available? Because a lot of people are asking the question, and I had the same one, like, is is Urias available for game six or they want to hold him for game seven? How much can May pitch tomorrow, given that he – I mean, I, granted, there's an off day in between, but he pitched you know in game five. So, like, who is available for how long – and how much do they feel like they need to save someone, whether it is May or Urias, just in case Bueller isn't available? You know, Bueller doesn't go as long as they want. He struggles. They need two innings from someone or whatever. Because you can't throw Kershaw again. Like Clayton Kershaw's done for this series, correct? Like they're not uh, going to do that to him, are they? Please say no. Please say they're not going to do that. I think the Dodgers don't want to do that to him. I think Clayton might want to do it to himself because that's he's got kind of a hero complex about <laughs> these whole October late game situations. Um, we'll, we'll see. Um, but I, I don't think they should let him in the stadium. I don't want him anywhere <laughs> near. Uh, he should not be allowed to play over the next. They should deactivate him. <laughs> so I feel yeah. very strongly about this. He's going to pinch run in the 19th inning, man. <laughs> he used to be a decent hitter for a pitcher. I mean, like, you know, maybe you satisfy him it's by saying we're not going to. We're not going to throw you, but we will keep you as a pinch hitting option that we know, given the DH, is never going to happen. But, you know, just keep it in your back pocket to keep him satisfied. Well, two things to think about here. One is that they brought 15 pitchers to this series. So running out of pitchers is not going to be an issue for the Dodgers. Um, th that's somewhat counterbalanced by the fact that some guys have been a lot more effective than others. And really, like the 10 relievers that they brought, you know, you, you've seen the series. Um, some days they're awesome, other days they aren't. And you just don't really know what you're going to get until you throw them out there. Um, Trinan looked really good yesterday. I, I would, if I'm Dave Roberts, what I'm thinking here is that Trinan's probably my dude in the ninth inning, all other things being equal. Maybe it's three lefties and you go to Caleric or McGee or Victor Gonzalez or, or Urias uh, in the right situation. But ideally, like, Blake Trinan's probably the one guy you want to hold back for such a scenario. Uh, Gratterall looked pretty good uh, game five, too. So if you're lining up game seven, uh, you know, as that sort of safety net, you figure Bueller is probably trained to go longer than, than Gonsolin is. And so if you're the Dodgers, realistically, I think you can count on a game in which Booker Bueller hands the game to his best relief pitchers. And you can get through a game that way. And if you have to bring in Rias, um, you do that. But for this one, uh, for game six, you know, can can any of those guys do back-to-back? -back? Sure, maybe not Rias. You probably get one bullet in, in the Julio Rias gun here, and you either use him in six or seven. But like all your other relief pitchers, you you, you just ride the hot hand. Um, and, and, and you hope that that works, but really you hope Tony constantly yeah. so gives you more than that. That's fascinating to me, though, because in terms of the gamesmanship, JP, because the restraint, like, it's one thing, you know, the Dodgers get shut out in the first inning, second inning, whatever, and then they give up six runs in the, in, in the first two innings. It's like, okay, now you can throw Alex Wood. You can do whatever. You right. can kind of just punt the game and make sure your bullpen and everything is 100% intact. And you have every pitcher available to you. Where it gets really tricky is if it's a four to three game in the fifth, you know, or yes. you know, four to three in the third, or whatever it might be. And now you got to decide: do we try to? Because every game you play is another game where something bad can happen and weird thing and whatever, and you might lose. 
but right, at the same right. time, you know, you if you if you compromise yourself in game six, you can compromise yourself in game seven. I, I will say this: I, I more than most people on Twitter, I don't really lean too far into the second guessing of managers. Um, but I, I will say this: <laughs> you're the one. <laughs> I will say you must have spent a lot of time on Twitter then. <laughs> Uh, you guys follow me. It's it's mostly updates of what's happening. Uh, in By the, the way, that's a very we're not we're not criticizing it's you. Not You're actually the one guy who oh, figured no. it out. It's 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 all silly. Um, try not to take it too seriously. That's my only Twitter advice. Um, the <laughs> worst mistake follow. Roberts has made in this postseason was asking Pedro Baez to go out for a second inning after saying "You're done for the day." Um, <laughs> that was bizarre. I've never heard of that happening before. I've never heard of it either. And Roberts was at least smart enough to say, "Look, that was my bad for even letting him go out there again um, in in Game Four." Um, prior to that, though, uh, to, to hark back to your your point, I, which I think was a good one, is that he's mistaken those two scenarios for each other. In other words, I can remember, oh God, they all kind of blend together, but there was an NLCS game where it looked like it was slipping away from them and it just wasn't going to be very close. And he threw Adam Kolarik out there and let him go probably a little bit too long. And at that point in the game, it didn't look like it would matter. I want to say now this is game three of the NLCS. Um, but then the Dodgers came back and they ended up making it close. And in retrospect, you could say, well, why did Kolarik, who clearly didn't have it, or at least was not pitching against the guys he should have been pitching against uh, allowed to stay in there for that long. And, and I think it's really incumbent on, you know, Dave and his staff not to make that mistake. Right. So if you do get into a scenario where it's, it's four, three, that you manage it accordingly, but if it does turn into like, say a five, nothing uh, uh, game one way or the other, that you don't count out that score from getting close in a hurry because we've seen that happen and that could come back to bite them. Yeah. What, what I think is really interesting is, you know, this potentially setting up as a bullpen game, there's an irony because that's the area where Dave Roberts is criticized the absolute most in terms of how he manages a bullpen, the order in which he implements these guys. And game five ended up kind of this weird referendum on Roberts's decisions because when he pulled Kershaw, you actually had the rare reaction on Twitter of everybody saying, keep him in the six, keep him in the six, even though like uh, the six has this been guy. His, yeah, it's been his traditional kryptonite. Not you me. Had people begging to keep him in. You know, Gonzalez seemed like a dicey decision in the moment. I, I know I was a little nervous about it. It ended up working. You know, Dustin May surprised some people coming in, you know, especially coming off some uh, a couple of shaky appearances. That ended up working, and it's just like a reminder of how baseball, because it's such a sport set in failure, like so many of what ends up smart or not smart is just result-based. Oh, and yeah. the process obviously matters, but these are all decisions that could have just as easily gone sideways, but in this case, they worked, and it wasn't always pretty over the course of it, but they ended up working. So it's like... He made the right decisions, even if you look at them going like, oof, like at times you're really, really nervous about the decisions he made. And you can make the wrong decision as a manager and still get away with it. And okay. I don't know if that's actually what happened in game five or not. Um, it may have been, you know, if you go back and look again, it's hard to remember, I know, but the Dodgers had a really good bullpen in the regular season. And so not only that, but it was like, not one or two guys doing it, but it was like 
eight dudes who you genuinely could have felt good about going into October. And so I think that their strategy, if you really put yourself back again, back to the beginning of the postseason, to not designate specific innings or specific runs of hitters for specific relief pitchers was wise because it looked like a very interchangeable group. So you dial it back again three weeks ago and you think, hey, Victor Gonzalez for a run of tough lefties and righties? Sure. Why not? That's who Victor Gonzalez was for most of the season, was a guy who could do that. Did he have a couple bad games in October? Yes. But I think what you saw there in, in game five was Dave Roberts saying, I'm going to bet on Victor Gonzalez being the dude he's been most of this season. And I think that was smart. Easy to say in hindsight, right? But if you put yourself in the moment still, I, I think that's very justifiable. And you could also make the argument too that like, because none of these guys have really stepped up to have just an awesome postseason. Like none of these guys is 2017 Kenley Jansen. None that is of these true. guys. Like, yeah, there's nobody Brandon coming Moore, into right? any of these games where you feel as a Dodger fan, like, oh, great. I mean, but that's that's yeah. a big right. reason why Clayton Kershaw has had to suffer through so much shit, is because the Dodgers have rarely had that bullpen configuration where, you know, I mean, they had Jansen in his prime years and then I'm forgetting who used to set him up that was actually really good. I'm trying to remember. Brandon Laura was the dude. Yeah. He was yeah. the one dude. Yeah. And, but like other than that, you've had this just crapshoot that's led to Kershaw being out there when he's clearly gassed. But you know, both Mattingly and Roberts have been in positions where it's like, I trust Clayton Kershaw with his arm almost falling off more than these other guys. And it's like, right. I get it. I get why <laughs> you're making that decision. It's it looks like a terrible one, but I get it. Right. Right. And and you I think I think part of the criticism is kind of personal almost where you don't wish that on Kershaw specifically. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not just playing the numbers. It's, it's playing the man. And you see how good Clayton Kershaw is. You see how hard he works. You see how much he cares. And you just don't want failure for him. That's why I want him to not be allowed in the stadium. I don't want him to have, <laughs> I don't want the temptation to be there for Dave Roberts to, to, to make Clayton Kershaw a hero like he's done he gutted that game out like you know game of inches like what happens if Rosarena is safe at home like or, or you know uh but like all of these things it wasn't Margo Margot, thank you Margot was safe at home um but like I just I don't I don't want the temptation to be there for Roberts um I, I this is this may get into deeper into rank speculation than you want to go but how big of a risk was it for Roberts to put May back in the game? Like, if that blows up, given how he's pitched, is he taking like a significant risk with with some of these bullpen decisions? I.e., like, how threatened would his job be if the if the bullpen screws this up? Yeah, I, I don't think his job would have been threatened specifically because of that move. But I think one thing, and, and hopefully this isn't, you know, yeah, let's get wonky. What the heck? Do we, it. Let's do it. That's a great quote. Tweet that. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I think that one of the things that fans forget most easily when it comes to bullpen decisions is that it, it's part of it is how has this guy done lately? Sure. And with Dustin May, it's not great. Um, certainly, as a relief pitcher, but it's also how do these pitchers look on a mound to a hitter relative to each other. So if I'm Randy or Rosarena, if I'm the Rays best hitter and, and I see, um, you know, if I see your starter uh, for the first two times 
and and the starter is a right-handed pitcher or let's let's use Kershaw. Let's let's say I've got Clayton Kershaw in my first two times up. And then my third time up, I see Dustin May, who's throwing 8 miles per hour faster, who's you know, 2 or 3 inches taller and who's right-handed. Uh that's a big adjustment. That's a big adjustment for me to make. And so you know, I, I would really have to go back and look at look at you know specific at bats, but that's a big part of the strategy is going from a Victor Gonzalez, who's you know a left-handed pitcher, throws a completely different repertoire from Dustin May, who's this just ginormous right-hander throwing 102 mile per hour fastballs. In theory, that should work, um, and that's a bit, very difficult adjustment even for a major league hitter. Um, the fact that it hadn't worked to that point somewhat defied reason. I, I think the best thing that you could say is that May, like Gonsolin, had been thrown off of his routine. They tried using him as a relief pitcher in the postseason last year. That really didn't work either. And I think until yesterday, really, you could say the jury was out on whether this guy could actually be trusted to relieve baseball games <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. Totally valid criticism. But again, let's go back to it. Who else do you go to? Right. Like there wasn't there isn't that one guy who's just lights out every time you throw him. Because <laughs> that's fine. Because like even Gratterall, like people were really upset that Grat in, in, in game four. I'm the, the math of these things just crushes me. I can't do it. But in game four, like why not keep going with Gratterall? He's a people forget Gratterall throws a hundred miles an hour, but he's not right. he doesn't miss a lot of bats. It's not like right. he's one of these guys who just mows through people and, and you know is gonna strike out the side. He hasn't been that guy. So that part of it isn't as relevant as I think a lot of fans want it to be just because he throws really freaking hard. I think that May wasn't missing a lot of bats. I thought was, I think confused a lot of people too. Definitely. May, some of May's, you know, signature moments on a baseball game are on a baseball field are throwing these wicked breaking balls that make opposing hitters look stupid. And you wonder why can't he do that every time? And it's it's again it's little wonky things like a hitter being able to pick up the arm angle and knowing what pitch is coming and being able to lay off of that stupid breaking pitch um it's stuff like that and it happens remember guys these are the best hitters on the planet you're not going to be able to fool them as well as you do during the regular season i mean what's funny to me and and this is this has been i think really just sort of fascinating and i'm always reminded of this the, the three years that we covered the Dodgers, you know, day in, day out for the LA Times, two of those years were Grady Little. And then the last one was the first full year of Joe Torre. And one of the things that I thought was really funny in terms of hearing fan reaction, whether from our writing or when we're, you know, we're on the air with 710, is so many of the criticisms that fans had about Grady Little doesn't know how to manage a bullpen, gives way too much deference to veteran players as opposed to younger players that are better were the exact same criticisms that they had of Joe Torre. I mean, like mm. literally they were the exact same thing. Like if memory serves, Joe Torre blew out Scott Proctor's arm on two coasts. Like he made, <laughs> like he ended up doing it in New York and in LA, but Joe Torre would always get, you know, he could get criticism, but he would always get a benefit of the doubt because he's Joe Torre, and, and he earned that, and he's obviously a better manager than Grady Little. That's not my point. But when, when you watch any manager on a day-in, day-out base, same with like any coach. We covered Phil Jackson for years. You know, Phil is arguably the greatest coach in NBA history. Fans would find stuff 
that they'd be upset with him about on a daily game to game basis. And it's just because anybody under that type of microscope, you're not going to like what you see. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think you're speaking to two, two different things there. One is that managers are prone to making the same mistakes over and over again. They're human beings, mm -hmm. just like all of us. I don't choose a different new mistake to make every day. I, <laughs> you stick I, you with know, the ones that work. I stick with the ones that work. Sometimes <laughs> I forget to scoop the cat litter. I'm sorry. That's on me. Uh, it happens a lot, but look, uh, Dave Roberts, he, he sometimes, you know, just drops the ball with, with, you know, the bullpen. And, and we saw that with Pedro Baez in game four. Um, we've seen him leave Clayton Kershaw in there too long. Um, which I think is an easy mistake to make when you're managing arguably the best pitcher of all time, certainly of his generation. Um, the, these things happen. Um, and so th there's, there's right for criticism there. The other thing that you're speaking to is like, how often do, I mean, you tell me guys, how often did people call into 710 to say what an awesome job the coach did that day? <laughs> not often. <laughs> not, not that often. was a rare call. Well, especially when we were doing the Lakers stuff, in fairness, they were winning like 13 games a year. There weren't a lot of opportunities to call and praise uh, yeah, management even, I mean, or the head coach. But it's funny, though. I mean, we would get, though, more either comments or calls, stuff like that, criticism of Phil than we typically got a praise. I mean, to be totally honest. Mm. And, and that was Phil Jackson. Yeah. But I, I would say the ratio of criticism to praise was higher on the criticism. And, and also, too, just as a, a cross-section, uh, you know, people who actually pick up the phone to call radio shows are your angriest people in your city. Like, Except you lovely people watching right now. You're great. You're fantastic. You're the best. Just to make sure you guys understand that. You're, no, but they're not. This isn't a call-in show. No, I know. But I mean, but it's it. you could wonder if it's a Venn diagram crossover. I'm just clarifying. No, These very people reasonable are, people. Oh, they're awesome. They're, they're not loons like they're like those other people we're talking about. <laughs> it's the nature of being a fan. Um, and if it isn't the manager, it's the general manager. Pick one of the two. The, the player will get the blame third. Always. Always. Yeah. I mean, and, and what's what's always interesting, too, is the the weaker players often get more criticism than the stars do, um, mm. you know, depending on how, you know, like, why aren't you better? You know, why did this guy screw this up again? It's like, well, because he's not that good, like relative to the other people. <laughs> like, what do you want from him? Um, I, mean, I think that's what, you know, this has been so great about this playoffs for the Dodgers is you've had, you know, their best players have been very good for really important parts. Obviously, Seeger has been just insane. And, you know, Bueller has pitched very well. And Kershaw, you know, has had a good one. He's a one-off game that was almost a good one. Um, you know, he's been good. And Bellinger has had some yeah. great moments after a really rough start to his playoff career. They've all kind of been there. Turner has turned it around. Like, the Dodgers stars have played pretty well. Like, that's not the issue. Um, I mean, it's I don't know what the issue would be. They're up 3-2 in the World Series, but... It, it's a nice change. It happened for the Lakers with Anthony Davis and LeBron. Like they won because players were coming through. Like, is there is there anybody you look at that you could say on of the headliners who's been like a genuine disappointment in the playoffs? Uh, I don't know. Is Kenley Jansen still a headliner? <sighs> what do we think? Yeah, question. He, I think he, he still is, is, but it's the attention of a headliner. Should he be? That gets back to the question you were asking before. Like, you, are you blaming the lesser players? 
I, yeah, I think there's no wrong answer to that question because if you look at how much he's getting paid this year, that's big time closer money. That's so true. If, you, if you look at that and say this guy should be a big time closer, then okay, that that's that's a fair criticism. If you look at who he was for most of September, then you know, are you expecting him to just dial it back? And and the the funny thing is, guys, is that in the middle of this series, he did like he actually started to look pretty good there, and. I don't think anybody wanted to hear his excuses at the end of game four, especially after he didn't like back up home plate and stuff, but he, he like, he genuinely it wouldn't did. have mattered. He was, he wasn't going to get that ball. No, but but you still yes, be you are, go be where you're supposed to be. Absolutely. It was, it was, it, it was a mistake on his part. And, and I think though, to his credit, I, you know, listened to him talk post game and, and, and he was saying like, look, it's, it's not like they beat me with these screaming line drives off the wall. And it's true. They didn't like the Rays had three doinkers that, you know, and, and they're with, with the walk mixed into their best hitter, um, which I think was justifiable. Like other, like it wasn't disaster. Yeah. I them. stuck up for Kenley after the game. Like should Gratterall have stayed in the game and did Kenley Jansen pitch poorly are not the same question. One is a Dave Roberts question. One is a Kenley question. And I realized, but, oh, one and two against Phillips or whatever it was, you can't throw a ball that's hittable and all. Well, I mean, the guy hit, and I, and I think it was it was either Jason Stark or um, or uh, Ken Rosenthal at the Athletic wrote about it that you know that was the 39th hardest hit ball in a game with 54 <laughs> balls put in play. That was the one that that Phillips hit, and the one that. Uh, uh, whoever got on before him was like 53rd. And like so that's what happened. Like he shattered the guy's bat. Yeah. I mean, like that happens. Like that wasn't Kenley pitching poorly. And I, it can sound like an excuse, but I he was right. Oh, you got dragged on Twitter, son. I did. You got dragged. I did. But except I was one. right. And he wasn't the guy who dropped the ball. I mean, he should have been backing up home plate, but it wouldn't have mattered. Nope. You know, he didn't drop the. You know, he didn't make the the bad play in center, and he didn't drop the ball at home. No, it, it's hard to draw any lasting conclusions from that play because that was like there were four different mistakes on that play and they all conspired to decide the game like it was a classic world series game i i, I don't know if fans have had enough separation from it to appreciate it on that level but like it's unbelievable oh yeah as somebody who had to write about it it was it was very poetic. i'll, I'll throw out mid. another fun fact that, that jason stark had the dodgers had a lead in all nine innings of that game. At some point, they led in all nine wow. innings of that game and managed to lose. It's only the third time in history that that has happened. Um, they led in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. There the Dodgers have no... led in 73% of the innings of this series. Yes, there had been no lead changes in that in a game in that series until the sixth inning of game four. And it's then crazy. all of a sudden it was a lead change, a tie, a lead change, a tie, a lead change in the final four innings. It was ins- it, th- that was the most insane finish to a baseball game. I can okay, I, okay. That that leads well to uh, two questions I want to ask. One from me, one from uh, one of the viewers right now. But I get mine first because it's a cleaner seg. And game four show. and game five. Yes, that's true. I, I run the <laughs> damn thing. Um, game four and game five is the. It's putting you on the spot a bit, but like, is that the craziest 48 hours of baseball you've ever seen? Like, that you can mm-hmm. recall? Because, I mean, that, you've seen a lot of baseball, but what went on in those two games was insane. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, you know what I will say? It, it, two thoughts. The, the first, the only thing that comes to mind, and, and, and this is probably a 
failing of my short term of my long term memory as much as anything. We well, have a new that... so that'll do it. <laughs> Good luck remembering anything for the rest of your life. Right. Oh, can't wait. So, uh, two years ago, you know, the one year here in this Dodgers run of, of eight consecutive division titles that was really dramatic was when the Rockies finished with the exact same record and they played a game one sixty three at Dodger mm-hmm. Stadium. And they won. Walker Buehler was amazing. He outdueled Herman Marquez. It was a classic game. It was really good. But when you think about all of the things that had to, that, that, that could have happened and that did happen as a consequence of that, like if the Dodgers had lost that game, they would have had to fly to, I think, Milwaukee that night and play the next day or like the day after against the Brewers. And because they didn't, the Rockies did. And then they played the Brewers. And then I think the Brewers won and they went on to play the Cubs. Anyway, uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind was just the insane amount of travel that hinged on some very close baseball games. Um, But, you know, with respect to games four and five, I think the most, maybe the most surprising thing to me was how little momentum mattered because after game, if momentum meant anything, guys, the Dodgers would have given up 12 runs in the first inning. Of the game. <laughs> right? Like that just completely crushed any notion anybody should have had that momentum. They, they, were, they would have been point. locked out of the park if momentum meant anything like for game five. They wouldn't have found their way into the game. Right. 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 Will Smith would have shown up with Velcro in the back of his baseball. Um, <laughs> um, and then here's the, uh, from Granted L.A., does Hornster think they should keep Barnes a catcher for game six and seven? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I, I haven't exactly been beating that drum loudly, but I've brought it up a couple times that when you look at the Dodgers lineup, well, when you look at two things, one, when you look at who Will Smith is as a catcher and the fact that, you know, he's not as good of a framer, he's not as good of a blocker, and that's independent of how game four ended. Barnes is just the better defensive catcher. I think in a close series like this one really has become those little things can make a huge difference, especially the framing. Um, but then too, if you look at who Austin Barnes is as a hitter, like he's probably the one guy in the lineup who doesn't go up there expecting to hit a home run when he puts his best swing on a baseball. Nor and do any of us. <laughs> Austin Barnes is the most relatable player in the entire life. <laughs> Um, we are player. all Austin Barnes. <laughs> stars, stars, they're just like us. <laughs> that, that's Austin. He Barnes. is. I love Austin. Um, he is. Um, you don't want nine guys like that, but I think having one of them really helps because well, you ask him, you ask him to put down a bunt like he was um, not too long ago, and he can do it because he's had to practice that because he knows he's not a hitter who can hit. Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing with PK, like. Uh, Kike right. hadn't bunted in a game since 2018, and asking him to go do it in that game was awful. It was a people think yeah, bunting is easy; just put the bat out there. But sacrifice bunting is really, really goddamn hard. And so, asking a guy who hasn't done it in anything but BP in two years to do it in the World Series is stupid. They should right. stop doing those things. Right? No, it's a completely different skill from hitting. It 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 requires a different skill, and you have to practice it. You have to work on it. Um, and Kike didn't. <laughs> I'm Which, blanking on. I'm totally blanking on his name. Who? What's the name of Kershaw's last personal catcher? AJ Ellis. Oh, AJ Ellis, like who was basically on the team like an extra couple years just because of that relationship 
with Kershaw, or if not just because it that had a big role in it, because he was Kershaw's dude. And and like those type that comfort that guys like that, you know, like Barnes is it, like you said, a really good defensive catcher, even if you know he's not a reliable bat. It, what you do as a defensive catcher is so important, like not just for the game, but for like the psychology of that pitcher. Like, you know, if Clayton Kershaw chooses you as his personal catcher, like you're doing something really well because, I mean, you know, gig. you know this better than either one of us. Kershaw's really picky. Like that guy doesn't just, <laughs> hey, you know what? You make the decision for me. <laughs> Whatever. I don't right. care. Right. So Yasmani Grandal was the guy who basically took over for Ellis as the Dodgers starting catcher. And he was the far more complete baseball player, offense, yeah. defense, uh, framing all of it. Um, but Grandal had kind of a fatal flaw, which is that his brain was wired to frame every single pitch, which is useful for sure. But when you have a pitcher in Kershaw, whose repertoire is so dependent on wasting the occasional slider in the dirt and getting guys to chase that, Sometimes you just need a dude who's going to get down on both knees and block that um, and not try to frame it um, or do anything cute. And I think that Clayton never came out and said this, um, certainly A.J. Ellis and Yasmani Grandal, <laughs> but I think that's why Ellis persisted as, as Kershaw's personal catcher is because A.J. was a be far met better blocker. Same thing with Barnes. Barnes is both a better framer and a better blocker than Will Smith. <laughs> Well, it's a little like uh, who is it, Paulie Andy and the Godfather? You won't be hearing, you won't be seeing him anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, it's a little bit like that. Um, so, hey, JP, you wrote a book, and I think it was published in 2015, the 50 greatest Dodger games of all time. Yeah. If you rewrote that today, how many games from these playoffs would have to be included? Oh man, that's a good question. I would say, you know. If you could have shown me like the next five years of Dodger history, I might have held off on publishing that. <laughs> the team got really good after 2015. Um, there have probably been like six games since then that I thought, wow, this is this is a classic. And in this postseason alone, oh boy. Um, you know, game four of this World Series did not go the Dodgers' way, but there are games in that oh. group of 50 that are just all-time classics, like the shot heard around the world and, you know, Henry Aaron getting mobbed on the field because he broke Hank uh, Babe Ruth's home run record. That happened against the Dodgers. Like, how is that not just the most iconic moment in baseball history? Um, and the way that game four ended, I'd have a really hard time not putting that in there. Yeah, that game was, I mean, again, disappointing, but whole, I mean, that, that was epic. I mean, that game was epic. But like game seven of the Atlanta series got to be in there, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if it has to be. I mean, they're all 50 really good games. No, it has I, to I, be, I, JP. I it has it. to be. Well, he's the author, Brian. Let, let the author actually decide this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, like I said, like, you know, there have been so many games just in the last five years. Like, think about... Think about Vin Scully's last home game at Dodger Stadium, ending on a walk-off home run by Charlie oh, Culberson. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my God, did Charlie. <laughs> oh, my God, forgot about him. How does that not go in there? The right? infielder yeah. version of Austin Barnes, basically. I forgot not about bad. him. By the way, for folks uh, who want to see, this is the book we're referring to. Nice. JP's book. Please uh, go pick that up. You will enjoy it. Um, if I you're didn't... a dot. Why didn't you mention that you could have just put that over my face like this whole time? We can't. I don't know how to move it to the right side. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it always goes in the you can middle. You only cover the middle. Uh, 
Um, There's a lot about this that we don't understand. Yeah, I mean, maybe there is maybe there is a way to do it. We just don't know what how. If, wait, hold on, let me try. There you go. Hey. I mean, you you more comfortable with this? We can keep it there. It's an advertisement, and I guess gives you a binky. I just put my San Jose Giants hat on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're quick. We're, take it off. Oh we're, man. Yeah. Um, oh, sp speaking. Of, do you do you enjoy this? Look at that. <laughs> I do enjoy that. <laughs> Everyone this enjoys was, that. This was Pedro uh, Pedro Mora's first appearance on the show with his quarantine hair, and uh, I happened to notice the similarity to uh, Stony version of uh, Cody Bellinger. There's quite the similarity there. Stony Cody was the meme of the month, and oh, I yeah. hope I hope it persists a little bit beyond this month because it's really useful. I don't know if you guys noticed that. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I mean, I've met Bellinger before, but like, I, I've not really spent any time around him at all. Is his personality similar to what people gather would be from Stony Bellinger meme? Um, yes and no. He he does for a guy who grew up in Arizona. He does have a sort of surferish vibe, just sort of that laid back young dude kind of vibe that kind of comes through. I, I wouldn't. You know, the, the the stoner thing is is probably taking it one step too far. But there is something. <laughs> He's in a sport that tests. Right, gotta be careful. <laughs> yeah, there is something essentially laid back about his personality that is coming through there, though. I think that's. I true. will say, I I have played baseball with people who are stoned. Like our, we had a guy, one of the guys I went to, you know, on my high school baseball team we used to get really high before games and like man alive like he said it just it slowed down the baseball and he could hit and all this other and it was true he was one of the best hitters in our lineup he was also our first baseman and he couldn't catch when he was high so he sort of <laughs> gave back every like you had to put the you stick the glove out there and it was really important that you hit it because he really didn't have a whole lot of a lot of range there uh in terms of of uh of catching so um you know, you give a little, you get a little, but like we needed a DH. He did yeah, perfect you, with a DH. I can tell you guys, I'll say this for Cody. I can tell you guys some stories off air about players that you have heard of, um, but Cody Bellinger is not one of them. I have no no stories <laughs> about Cody in, in, in that realm. None. Um, we, we do have to make sure we save time for uh, our game, which in honor of you, J.P. Hornstra, is called Name That Horn. Um <laughs> And <laughs> I don't know. See, I, you don't know this, JP. You were probably working the other night and doing constructive things or uh, attending to your your child or any of this other stuff. The last time I played a game, which was Friday, correct, Andy? Yeah, it yeah, didn't it go. Was, it yeah, really it was me and Bergman. Well. Sort of. No, the, no. Was that? Yeah, was that me and Bergman that went poorly? I believe so. It was the last game. It was the la it was the last show we did, um, and it was it was a game, and it did not work. Um, and no, that was uh, no, that was Thursday because Friday was the game that we played with Greg and you, Greg. Smoked. Oh, right. No, it was Thursday. This was Thursday. Right. Fair, and that fair game point. was a disaster. That, it was that terrible. Was a, that was a complete shit show. That thing it was, was, it was really bad. Yeah, we're doing it again. We're getting <laughs> look, look, look you, you get, JP. The Dodgers well, didn't quit after game two. You know, you got to go back out there and play game three. You know, that's scary. how this works. And so we're we're gonna get out there okay. and do it. Speaking of stories, the kid from NYC, JP, any good Puig stories? People love a good Puig story. <laughs> sure, I've got, 
got a few good Puig stories. <laughs> um, let's see. What, what are some good Puig stories that I can tell? Um, let's see. Um, do you guys remember when he was flirting with the idea of, of taking a helicopter into Dodger Stadium? Yes. Oh, I don't remember that. This was... Um, it wasn't his first year, but maybe 2015? Maybe 2015, I want to say. Google it. Anyway, he was flirting with the idea of taking a helicopter into Dodger Stadium uh, to be traffic. He didn't, he didn't like the traffic in LA, which, you know, who does? And he had spoken to somebody. I forget how this came out. Anyway, a reporter goes up to him and says, uh, hey, hey, Puig, uh, can, can we talk about this, this helicopter story? And, and he says, oh, no, sorry. And uh, the reporter walks away. And then two, two minutes later, he, he's doing a group interview that, that starts in on baseball. And, uh, and, and somebody says, hey, Puig, can, can you, you know, tell us what's up with the helicopter? And he just gives the whole story to the entire group. And meanwhile, the poor reporter, who is not me, um, but <laughs> it just broached him like a, a few seconds earlier. Uh, was was standing off in the distance, having tried and failed to get the helicopter story, while he's now giving it to this entire group, and and I, I only mention that one because a it's clean, um, and b <laughs> b because I think it speaks to kind of what got Puig his reputation, but also got him kind of misunderstood, which is that he was just more weird than anything else. Um, it was just very difficult to know what to expect from Yasiel Puig, whether you were his manager or his teammate or a reporter just trying to do your job. This, um, this is very similar to exactly what Brian and I experienced and loved about Andrew Bynum covering him. Mm. Like Bynum was weird as hell, very, very unpredictable, did not give a shit what anybody thought, including often his teammates. And was, I mean, actually, I think even more than Puig, uh, was just quote of the year. Like Bynum had no filter whatsoever. And on one hand, when when he finally had worn out his welcome and he got traded to Philly, I totally got, both of us totally <laughs> understood Ooh, yeah. why this happened. <laughs> like both of us were like, it was a year before he was up uh, for free agency and a new contract. We're like, there's no way in hell you can give this guy a long-term deal. But we were also like, God, I miss him. Like, so I, I he just he kept things interesting. I know this is a tangent, guys, but you you, you might be able we're to. We're okay with that. Okay. So you're maybe uniquely qualified to do this. My perception of Bynum from the outside is that he was like the James Loney of the Lakers in that he was, he had kind of a quirky personality. He was always expected to be somebody that he was not. And eventually hmm. that broke. really it. interesting comparison. Huh. He's like Loney because Loney was from the era that we actually were in the clubhouse right. a lot, and we covered that era. And he was a he was a he was more he was not as weird as Andrew. Okay. Um, by the way, totally underrated part of like locker room dynamics is that some of these guys are just really weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like like normal people are really weird, but they just happen to be prenaturally good athletes. Um, yeah, that's a really like for well, you know what of, like what they were expected to be. I think it's a really fascinating Take, point. taking this comparison even further. And and JP, I believe you you were on covering these teams as well. Loney was the one that in 2007, when there was the open feud going on between the established veterans versus the kids, 
Loney was oh, asked about the trash those can. guys as Matt the leader. Matt Kemp moved the trash can. Yeah, Matt Kemp moved the trash can and caused that controversy. But Thank Loney God. was asked about those guys, the the veterans, about their leadership. And he said, who said they're leaders? Like, the, that was Loney, actually, that put right. it out there. And it was something that all year, those younger guys had all been thinking. Like, they right. had all been thinking right. about that. Right. And finally, he just said it. And and I think, I think to your point, like, I would never describe Loney as... Well, I don't want to say never. I rarely would I describe him as weird based on his behavior, but in terms of somebody who was an independent thinker who wasn't mm-hmm. on, yes. on on select occasions uh, unafraid to speak his mind, that Well, Loney was a smart Loney. dude. Loney yeah. was a really smart dude and Brian I presumably still is. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> He's still with but, us. <laughs> but like Brian and I used to say all the time like Bynum was in a lot of ways too smart for his own good as a professional athlete cuz like mm-hmm. Drew was really smart enough i think to recognize like i don't have to do this like not that a lot of got other guys aren't smart i mean we've actually there are a lot of smart athletes but like you know bynum was somebody that used to like take apart computers and put them back together like just for funsies like i mean like he was a really really smart guy who who happened to be seven feet you know and and (laughs) really amazing hands right but every now and then you'll get a guy like that who reminds us that the actual work of being a professional athlete kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> yes. And and if you have the opportunity to say, you know, forget this, guys, I can do something else. Every now and then you you genuinely get a guy who's qualified to say that. Yeah. It's just, it is fast. Like the amount, it's, it's a great point, Jay, because like the amount of stuff that you have to do to stay at the highest level of these guys, especially in baseball, because like if you're once if, in basketball, you know, you slide down a tier, you can still go earn you know, a million, five, a million, whatever, doing something, go play in, in Russia or China or whatever, or Italy. It's, it's like not so bad. It's 82 games. There's yeah. It's, it's <laughs> not so bad. Like the second tier in basketball isn't ideal. I'd rather play over here in the NBA than I would in Spain. But, you know, making a million bucks to go play basketball in Spain, it's not I the end it. of the world either. I get it, yeah. Base, baseball. <laughs> sounds awesome. Right, I mean, yeah. baseball, like, there's a really good chance if you're not playing Major League Baseball, you're, like, not playing, you're making, like, $48,000 playing in, you know, Poughkeepsie or something. It's, like, right. there's and, a... And I think they drug test in Poughkeepsie and not Spain. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah, um, oh, okay. Uh, the kid from NYC said some reddit guy well, it's always going to lead somewhere good but some reddit guy said that both <laughs> since puig spoke spanish and rue spoke korean to talk they both learned german mm-hmm. have you heard anything about that that's just so weird i had There's... to put it up there <laughs> uh, i never heard german spoken in the dodgers clubhouse um certainly not from those guys but i will say this ryu i remember him telling us very early on that in the korean league the number of Spanish-speaking teammates that he had out that vastly outnumbered the number of English-speaking teammates that he had. Huh. And his Spanish was actually his best second second best language, not his English. So he he would communicate more with the Spanish-speaking guys and the English-speaking guys. If you guys remember Easily. this, like he and Juan Uribe actually had a like a pretty good mm-hmm. friendship on and off the field. And they I'm <laughs> guessing they spoke Spanish more than anything. God, um, that's awesome. So it was probably Spanish this week as well. I remember there was, because <laughs> I mean, Ryu, his conditioning was always a thing. Um, <laughs> and I remember there was one year where he had been injured for most of the year. And I came into the clubhouse and Ryu had magenta hair. 
And I was like, this to me feels like a bad sign about how much he's been keeping up his fitness because he looks really bored right now. (laughs) If he's just dying his hair, crazy colors, I'm concerned. Ryu, Ryu is such an interesting guy. Um, my my suspicion about Ryu is that he had the best sense of humor of anybody in that clubhouse for a number of years, and it sucked because we never really got to see the full. You know what's funny? Years ago for ESPN LA, I wrote a, P, a profile of Hiroki Kuroda, and when I went around talking to different guys on the team, one of the most common things that came up about him was he's hilarious, like he's mm. really really funny. And you'd never know it because most just most people don't end up most reporters don't end up speaking enough to him, you know, without a translator. Um, right. And I, I I interviewed him a bit and I got a couple funny things from him. But like across the board, they all said the guy's hilarious. Right. Right. And and it's so funny how that expresses itself with with different players, because like Kike Hernandez, I think, is a genuinely funny guy. Yeah. But when you transcribe him after a game, it's not always there. It doesn't always come through. Um, some things just bring out di- different players' personalities. Um, and, and maybe it's Ryu's magenta hair. Um, <laughs> maybe it's for Kuroda having somebody to talk to in Japanese. But, um, you know, for Kike, it's a camera. It's a camera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's all it takes. Dude, dude loves him a camera. All yeah. right. Uh, it is time. We have reached that point um, because at some point we got to let you go. Uh, it is time for Name That Horn uh, in honor of you, JP Hornstra. And this is a game that involves um, the answer to these questions that I will ask you um, will be things that have horns, people with the word horn in their name. Okay. Or things or <laughs> words that contain the word horn. So okay. like it's so like the word, the answer to the question could have horn in it somewhere, but the word might not be horn. Um, already so, feeling convoluted. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> there we go. But the clues are accessible. So here we go. Your name is your buzzer. So if you think you know the answer, you yell out your name, which in your case, JP would be Hornstra. <laughs> or JP. He's fine. We don't have to be that formal. Name the horn. Okay, JP. We'll go. All right, so if you know the answer, yell out JP, but not too loud because you don't want the baby. All right, here we go. I'll start with an easy one. The sports version of these don't have horns, but are definitely considered the greatest of all time. Sports version of these. The sports version of these don't have horns, but are considered the greatest of all time fuck are you talking about <laughs> what of these. they're considered the greatest of all time um oh uh jp yes is it goats it is goats that is correct answer goats jp one to zero all right <laughs> jay leggett got it on the chat he was ready to go boy jay all right here we go next question Let's do this one. This actor, <laughs> this actor is time. best known for his roles in Bad Santa, Sling Blade, A Simple Plan, Andy. and the TV version of Fargo. Andy. Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> Very good. Now your guys are in the swing of things. Number three. Boy, that's that's rich. <laughs> I, I, I ran this by you. You're like, it all makes sense to me so no. far. And you're Shut up. We're in this because of you. I was willing to back out. These vicious insects native to Asia are responsible for the decimation of honeybee populations. Andy. 
Murder Hornets? Murder Hornets. Very wow. good. All right. Here we go. JP, you got ch- to catch up. Here we go. This medium-sized toothed whale pres- uh, possesses a large tusk or horn from a protruding canine tooth. It lives year-round in the Arctic waters around Greenland, Canada, and Russia. It's a whale with a horn. What's it called? Uh, JP. JP. Is this the narwhal? This is the narwhal. Very good. Okay, I was thinking of trying to think of an animal with a horn in the name, but you're correct. You you said it could that be was correct. Something. No, Which, no, no. By the way, correct. was what you said. How you said to do it, Andy. I know. I know. Um, all right, so it's tied to two. Name that horn. Here we go. Uh, next question. Um, horned animals that around Christmas time apparently play games they won't let Rudolph JP. join. JP, JP. Is this the reindeer. This is the reindeer. Very good. Andy, now down three to two. JP takes the lead and name that horn. Uh, in the movie number six, I believe this is. In the movie Ace Ventura Pet Detective, he was Finkel and Finkel was him. Andy. Andy. Einhorn. Einhorn is the correct <laughs> answer. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. JP, have you have you seen Ace Ventura? It's, I mean, like in 1994 or whatever. Okay, well, yeah. Sure. It's the exact there. year, by the way. Good job. Really? Okay. Yes. It, cool. is, it was a big year for Jim Carrey. He had the mask, Ace Ventura, and Dumb and Dumber all in the same year. He remembers it well, too, I'm sure. He is. <laughs> Number seven, this Hall of Fame infielder broke in with the Cardinals in 1915 at age 19. He'd finish his 23-year career hey, with hey. the Browns, JP. Rogers Hornsby. Rogers oh. Hornsby. Very good. And just so you guys are aware, there will not be a Bruce Hornsby question because that would be repetitive. I was hoping so. (laughs) Um, I was hoping there would be. (laughs) The pointy part of the rose inspired Proverbs and also arguably the best song written by Poison. JP. Oh, Oh, damn it. Thorn. Thorn. Very good. JP now has the hand of it and he is pulled ahead by two. Um, a symbol of abundance and nourishment. This horn-shaped container is overflowing with produce, flowers. JP. Would this be the cornucopia? Otherwise known as a horn of plenty. Horn of plenty is what we were looking for there. Although I probably would have accepted uh, cornucopia. Only a couple more left, Andy. You're going to have to really hustle here. Uh, This gigantic Old South rooster is probably the most dated character in the Looney Tunes universe. JP. JP. Foghorn Leghorn. The the a rare double horn. You get two points for that. You are now up eight to three. Oh wow. Horn appears wow. twice, so you get two points for that. That feels arbitrary. It is completely <laughs> feels one hundred percent arbitrary. Uh, only a couple left. This popular ESPN panel show. I feel like this game's really Andy. picked up. Yes, around the horn. Around the horn. Very good. Eight to four. Um, let's see. Let's do. The show is actually little known. It was actually originally called Horn the Horn. So I should get a second point. <laughs> that is not true. You do not get extra points for that. Um. Here we go. Last question. And Andy, you are down eight to four, but lucky for you, this question is worth four and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So no pressure, JP. Okay. This fictional crime fighter was created in 1936 as part of a radio play. In the television, Andy. The Green Hornet? The Green Hornet. Andy wins eight and a half to eight. And and what can only be considered a major upset for a guy who has horn in his last name. J.P. Hornstra loses. Name that horn. I'm not a comic book guy. I would never 
I don't want to say never. That would have taken me a while. And you would you it. have gotten Jeff Hornacek? Jeff Hornacek. I would have. Um, yeah. Mark Bellhorn. I was anticipating a Mark Bellhorn question. I, that was no. There would be no yeah. Mark Bellhorn. I almost it, had a Rick Mahorn question. If it makes you feel better, like if you hadn't gotten Narwhal, like I would have been sitting here for the next till the next <laughs> show began, <laughs> like just trying to come up with it. I'd have never had that. So nice work. Oh, that's a good born, question. How is the Rams though. not an answer to one of these? That's a really good point. I thought you were going to go with Joe Horn. Musical instruments that are horns. I I. I could have probably done well in that realm, but I told, yeah, Brian, I thought about Joe Horn, but I also thought Andy was begging for a flugelhorn question. <laughs> well, because you were trying to come up with examples. Like you were letting people behind the curtain. Brian was very concerned. This game wouldn't work. And I think at the beginning, I think that concern was, was valid. Yes. It really picked up momentum. No, as this along. game worked out. I will, I will be honest. It did work out. So um, there you go. I yeah. But I, flugelhorn is a tough one. And then like French horn, but after that, most horns don't have the name horn in the name. No, it was a good game. You executed yeah, that you. pretty well, I think. Appreciate that. Yeah. I feel like I'm the like the Austin Barnes, like Joe Thornton. I already had a Thornton, though. There you go. That's true. You, can't you go, can't go double Thornton. <laughs> Fun <laughs> fact, is... JP. The Cam brothers' favorite Dodger is Andre Ether. That's really Brian. Brian's held a grudge against Andre I Ether did for like not, 10 years. <laughs> I did not like Andre Ether. <laughs> <laughs> Andre Andre was another guy who he wasn't like Yasiel Puig in most ways, but in in one of the ways, uh, he he could be a different dude on 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 different days. And I will say this: I don't yes. think I'm putting this out there because it, it's complimentary to him. He um, he's he's just been nothing a hundred percent of gentleman like since he retired. Like I can text him and ask him a question, and he will get back to me right away and just be awesome about it. That's cool. um, he's a, I think he's just. He can be intense when he shows up to the ballpark in that rough. Yes. He was, I'll tell you what, he was one of those guys who he was just, when he was playing, he was one of those guys who like you would, you would come and you, you talk, he'd go two for four with a double and a home run. You go talk to him. You're like, where were you guys yesterday? When I, you know, when I struck out three times. Yeah. Okay. Dude, you know how this works. We don't talk to you. Like, I mean, do you want me to come talk to you when you strike out three times? Like I will. Uh, But I just, he was, it was a little hard for me to work with. Um, in that era, but you know, that's just me. And a lot of people don't like me either. Um, so anyway, uh, he is the only one. Put the book back up there and it'll cover your face. There you go. 50 greatest games of all time. JB Hornster. You can also catch all of his stuff at, uh, the Southern California news group, which is like many, many different papers. Um, so if you just Google like newspaper, JP comes up and you can follow him <laughs> on Twitter at JP Hornstra. Um, beyond game coverage do you have anything you want to promote any appearances um you know i'll probably be hasn't been finalized but you'll you'll probably see me on spectrum sports net la this off season um I excellent there. So, excellent yeah, yeah that's awesome and, and, and you don't have to subscribe to uh spectrum anymore to get that channel so but if I, right. if you did it would still be worth it just for you it, right, I, I completely validate the cost of any cable package by myself. <laughs> well, you know what? You you are probably the solution to the cord cutting phenomenon that that is uh, hurting the industry right now. They people just, everywhere are trying to reattach their cord exactly. They're catching up to the horn, they're catching up to the hornster phenomenon. I appreciate oh. the time, man. Thank you. A cable magnates, my consulting fee is very affordable. <laughs> that is the takeaway from today. That is, it's very similar how Andy and I feel about television appearances. Um, we forgot. <laughs> to do this where we tell people what's coming up tomorrow night roger lodge uh, you guys know he's an angels guy but we're still going to have him on anyway 
Uh, do some pop culture. We'll do some baseball following game six. Wednesday night, George Sedano. Thursday or Friday, we're not quite sure yet. Ted Wynn from The Athletic has some great stuff out this week on uh, Staley and what they're doing with the Rams defense. A really good football writer breaks stuff down, so we'll have him on later in the week. Uh, JP, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Brian. This was fun. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Appreciate it. We'll see everyone tomorrow. Donk, you need a lot.